A. LaGrange is partnering with the 2020 Azalea Storytelling Festival. This will result in interviews with select storytellers and possible live content from the festival itself. It's an exciting time to be a Hey LaGrange fan. Hey folks, just a reminder that I've got a Patreon page set up to support the podcast. Go to www.patreon.com slash HeyLagrange to check it out and show some love. Thanks. Hey LaGrange, I'm Earl Gordon Barnett, and you're listening to Hey LaGrange, the podcast of LaGrange, Georgia, where we seek to explore the people and stories of this sleepy southern community and hope to show that it's not so sleepy after all. Like I said before, I'm Earl Barnett, and I first moved to LaGrange in 2010 when my wife and I bought a house to split the difference between her commute to work as an art teacher in Harris County and my commute to Emory University for a second master's program. I've worked as a high school history teacher on two separate instances. I've worked as a higher ed philosophy instructor. I'm a hobbyist photographer. I'm a brain cancer survivor. I'm a pro wrestling aficionado. I'm a craft beer advocate. I'm a father to two young children. And I'm a podcast host. This podcast is currently what I fill my time with. It's my passion. I considered myself exile in LaGrange for a long time and sometimes still do if I'm being completely honest. This podcast is my seeking to make LaGrange my home and not just a place I keep my stuff. Through the interviews, I hope that not only will you, the listener, get to hear the stories of people of LaGrange, and that also, with each episode, you grow a deeper connection and attachment to the community. Well, that's the hope anyways. Thanks for listening to our conversations and joining with us as we travel towards a mutual place of asylum here in LaGrange. So this is the first time I went way off script. In this week's interview, we don't get to the LaGrange component of Hey LaGrange. My interview this week was with Dale Jackson of Jackson Services. Our conversation focused primarily on Dale's advocacy for his son, Colin, who has autism. And it covers medical cannabis to treat autism and a host of other medical issues, such as, such as seizures, which I suffer from following my craniotomy in December 2014. Overall, the podcast goes a bit longer than usual. It's all quality, though. It just doesn't get to Dale's favorite spots in LaGrange, his favorite foods, etc. This interview goes a bit more personal than others I've done. Dale gets choked up as he contemplates the future of healthcare for Colin, and Colin's future in general. I didn't mean to spend so much time on medical cannabis, but I don't regret it. So... Enough talking about the interview, and let's get to it. Okay, I'm here with Dale Jackson of Jackson Services. Good morning. How are you doing? Good morning. Doing great. Okay, so what is your formal title? Uh, form, formal title would be co-owner along with uh, Ben Jackson. Uh, our fathers started the company back in 1973. It was, uh, gosh, what was it called back then? Jackson Appliance Repair. They, they okay. worked on appliances. They quickly transitioned from appliances to window units and refrigerators and uh, TV antennas. Yeah, TV antennas. TV antennas. Yeah, it was way back in, in the day of TV antennas, and then they transition to refrigeration. Okay. So the difference between refrigeration uh, and air conditioning is refrigeration typically cools machines or food. Mm-hmm. Um, they realize real quickly, this is kind of a fun fact for okay. Jackson Services, is that when a refrigeration unit goes down, no matter when it is, you have to get there right now. Okay. And because if you've got a uh, restaurant full of food, uh, you have to get that cooling again right now. It's not up for debate. Or if you have a dairy that is cooling mm-hmm. tons and tons of milk, mm-hmm. <laughs> it has to be stay cool. And uh, so, you know, it's just fun. My, my dad, because at this point, it was only my dad and my uncle basically running yeah. the company and my mom, actually. Um, 
my mom was answering the phone and handling the books way back in the early 70s. And, uh, but my, my dad got, he got tired of having to go out to dairies at three in the morning. <laughs> and he was like, man, there's gotta be a better way. And uh, so that's what, you know, we kind of began doing uh, what's commonly referred to as heating and air. Okay. And because uh, at least, you know, if a, if a house, you know, the air conditioning unit quits heating or cooling, you at least got an hour or two before you have to get there. To get yeah, you can yeah. at least wait till the next morning. You know, at eight o'clock. Um, anyway, that's just a little fun fact. And uh, so we've been doing heating and air primarily since you know the the very late seventies. And we uh, another fun fact is that uh, we started out doing GE air conditioners. And, okay, and. Uh, the employees of Train, which is commonly referred to as Train, the okay. the, the brand, mm-hmm. um, Train in the late seventies, the residential brand of Train, they weren't very good. Okay. Um, but the employees, the actual assembly line workers of Train, wanted to make a difference. They wanted to change their brand, and so they purchased the GE air conditioner which was a very good air conditioner. And so still to this day, the employees of Train mm-hmm. still own the, the residential company of, of Train Air Conditioners today. And that's what, we were a train, we were a GE dealer. Okay. Back in the late 70s, early 80s, and the 1984 is when the, the brand switched. Okay, um, got it. And so we've been a train dealer ever since the very first one rolled off the assembly line in 1984. That's really cool. And uh, there are literally still a couple of GE air conditioners that we installed back in the late 70s that are still operating today. One of them is on the square um, in the old museum. Anyway, that's just a fun fact. Still operating today? Yep. They don't think it'd be more cost-efficient to upgrade? Absolutely it would. It's costing them hundreds of dollars a month, <laughs> but I can't force them to, okay. to replace it. But when we do replace it, we're gonna, uh, we'll probably end up promoting it and making a big deal about it, so. Well done. And so what are your roles here at the Jackson Services? So my roles here, I officially uh, handle all of our sales. Okay. Um, so Ben Jackson, my business partner, he, he basically handles operations and our service department. Okay. Um, and then I handle all of our sales and anything that is involved in sales, the actual installation of whatever we sell, uh-huh. and, and also our marketing. Okay. So. All right. You mentioned that there's a, um, another role you serve in, in the chamber. Um, that's a role <laughs> that, that I serve in. Um, currently, I am chair elect for the chamber. Okay. Um, this this past year, I don't know officially if I held a role or not, but um, I also am chairman of the transition committee. Okay. Um, so our our chamber at Lagrange is uh, going through a little bit of a transition now. With uh, it, I guess you could say it was it's my job to hire a new president of the chamber, a full-time position. Thankfully, we've had uh, Kathy Tilly has served as our interim mm-hmm. president of the chamber. Uh, gosh, I guess now it's been about five or six months now, and she's done an excellent job. Uh, she will not be our permanent president uh, moving forward. Okay. So now we've, we've got to kind of ramp things back up and. And hopefully within the next month or two, we, we hope to uh, place a, a new permanent uh, president of the chamber. So, anyway, and then, but I am officially now um, chair elect. So okay. I guess next year I'll be chairman of the board of the chamber. That's cool. one of the one of the many boards that I do serve on. And what does the chairman of the board do? What is the responsibilities of that role? Well, traditionally. Um, you know, officially not too much. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, though, in a year like we just went through uh, in 2019, it gets a little bit more complicated okay. when you have to replace your, mm-hmm. your president. And uh, so, obviously, but Marlene Rhodes was our uh, chairman of the board this past year. 
uh, and she did a very fine job in kind of navigating the, the waters there through that transition. Uh, George Bailey is our current uh, chairman of the board Okay. Uh, this year. Um, so hopefully this 2020 will be a lot less. <laughs> hectic. Hectic, yes. Hopefully. So. Okay. So would you say you're most known LaGrange for this role? As like Jackson Services? Uh, yeah, I think, um, I guess, um, it's, I, I, I'm very blessed here in our company um, because of the foundation that my dad and uncle laid here and the company that we have here. It, it also gives me the ability because, because of my staff and the foundation here at the company, um, it's given me the ability to get outside of the company. Okay. Um, and, you know, be involved at the chamber, be involved in the Boys and Girls Club, and a lot of what my passions are as far as serving the community. And I get that ability to do that, um, you know, because my, my team here at the company, they're, they're taking care of things behind the scenes, and which gives me the ability to kind of get out there and, and impact the community in, in more ways. And, and be a part of other organizations and to help the community at large. Mm -hmm. Would you care to share some of the ways you help the community at large? So, I mean, as far as the additional um, ways in which and the, the organizations, so I serve on, I'm actually the, apparently I just found out I'm the chair elect of the, the Boys and Girls Club. Okay. Uh, so next year, uh, I'll be the chairman of the board there, and and the the Boys and Girls Club is a um, it's an organization that that I became aware of mm -hmm. um, a few years back after I joined Kiwanis, mm -hmm. um, which Kiwanis I'm, I'm actually the president of Kiwanis this year, um, and I, I kind of head up a program called Terrific Kids. Okay, and Terrific Kids is. Uh, it's a program to where we go to a couple of different elementary schools and the Boys and Girls Club. And we, we really focus in on second graders and we uh, reward them and kind of just acknowledge their abilities in, in reading and in, in setting goals and, and reaching those goals. Okay. And um, when I first got involved, it was, you know, I was just learning even what Kiwanis was, and then now all of a sudden I'm learning what the Boys and Girls Club is. And so through the, the Terrific Kids program, they, uh, Kiwanis used to give out little prizes. Mm -hmm. And these were like little, be like le legitimately 10 cent trinkets, you know, like a pencil or mm -hmm. a little tag that you put on your zipper so you yeah, can like, exactly. you zip up your jacket or something and uh and i was like you know are, are these really motivating the kids to excel in their their reading abilities and reaching their goals i didn't think so you'd be surprised though well yeah i mean there are second graders i mean <laughs> you know that and uh, so uh but anyway so i said well you know why don't wanted my company, you know, sponsor this program and, really and, cool. and, and I'll buy the, the prizes, mm -hmm. you know, because our Kiwanis club, you know, they were mm -hmm. responsible for buying the prizes. And so they, you know, I gotcha. And plus, you know, I felt like that the way in which the whole program was set up, you know, I don't want to get down into the weeds on, on it, but you know, you go into, we were going at that time, we were going to West Road and to Ethel Tight. And of course now Westford now we started doing Clearview Elementary. Okay. And uh, so anyway, so I, I kind of started working with the teachers and I said, let's, let's set the goals a little bit higher, you know, instead mm -hmm. of giving out a prize to every single second grader, you know, mm -hmm. let, let's try to, you know, give them a goal to reach. And, and so now our company, you know, we, we supply, you know, like for instance, typically we give out, you know, lunch boxes and book bags and that's awesome. And, and of course the kids really like the, little fidget spinners and sunglasses and you know that's anyway. fantastic um but through that program i learned about the boys and girls club because we also go there and, and kind of provide the same services to the second graders there mm -hmm. 
So anyway, through that program, I've really just been exposed, I guess maybe is a good word, um, to the Boys and Girls Club and, and how they serve our community. And so it's just really become a, a real passion of mine. And, uh, and, and through the Kiwanis and Terrific Kids program, one of the things that, that I have, when I first started it, Mm-hmm. You know, part of what we did was every kid that got recognized for meeting their goal, you know, we would have members of Kiwanis, and, and typically your your average civic club member is, you know, an older mm-hmm. man, you know, um, and these are typically, you know, second graders in the public school system, and they don't interact with your typical 50, 60, 70-year-old mm-hmm. businessman, you know, and but, you know, they would come up and they would all shake our hand, you know, and obviously, you know, your typical second grader, you know, real shy and, you mm-hmm. know, and, uh, but, but part of what I'm trying to instill in them and kind of communicate with them, and I go over every single month when we show up in these, these schools or the Boys and Girls Club and we talk about it, what does it mean to shake someone's hand? And I think that... It is something that they're not exposed to on a regular basis is the idea and, and really understanding and even as a culture we've lost that a lot but when you shake someone's hand and you look them in the eye mm-hmm. and what does that mean what does it mean and, and how important is that first introduction to someone and and so I every single month I talk to them about what does it mean to look someone in the eye and I make them repeat it back to me. And, and what that means is when you look someone in the eye, it shows respect to that individual. But it also, and probably more importantly, it shows that individual that you respect yourself, that you are looking them in the eye. You're not ashamed. Mm-hmm. And you're proud of yourself. And so that's what I'm trying to instill in them is a sense of pride and, and self-respect. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I make them as as all seventy kids, you know, are lining up to shake these eight old white guys' hands. You know, I, I make they 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 have to. They can't go down the line until they they look each one of us in the eye. You know, and so that's a small thing, but I, I think it. No, it'll through have the a course la- of the year, they they, they yeah. begin to get it. It have a lasting impact. Yeah, I hope so. So that's really cool. I used to work in a boys and girls club, actually. Oh, really? I spent three or four years working as an as an assistant youth director at a boys and girls club in, in upstate New York. Oh, really? Yeah. Cool. But okay, you you mentioned there was a handful. Are those the only two? <laughs> uh, not only ooh. two, but are there others? Uh, no. I mean, yes, there are plenty of others. I don't even I, I lose track. Um, so if I go down the list um, so I serve on the board of the LaGrange Street County Chamber of Commerce the Harris County Chamber of Commerce the Lafayette Christian Discovery Cottage Foundation uh, which is our uh, the foundation for the, the school that we started for my son at Lafayette Christian okay um, I serve on the board of community and schools, boys and girls club. Um, Kiwanis, I'm the president of Kiwanis, and on the executive committee. Uh, I'm I started uh, Safe, which is a it's a it will become more known in the next few years as we roll out the. Uh, medical cannabis industry okay. here in Georgia. Okay. Um, Safe is a nonprofit foundation that will certify the future companies that operate here in the state of Georgia um, as far as being safe certified okay. um, and taking proper care of patients, but also providing safe products uh, mm-hmm. for, for individuals who, who need medical cannabis. Um, are we close to having medical cannabis here in here in Georgia? 
Uh, yes, we're we're the state of Georgia. Last year, in 2019, we officially passed our legislation that will provide for oh, okay. actual medical cannabis oil. Okay. Um, and so, unfortunately, the leadership in Georgia took a very long time to actually get the ball rolling mm-hmm. as far as the the law that we passed this time last year. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, said to establish a panel of seven individuals appointed by the governor, lieutenant governor, and speaker of the house to actually map out what does that look like? What does medical cannabis yeah. oil look like in Georgia? How is it produced? Who gets the licenses? Mm-hmm. Anyway, so they've only been appointed now for about three months. Uh, they've had they've held two public meetings, okay. uh, one in December, one was just last week, okay. uh, this past Saturday in Columbus. And the next one is up in Austell, Georgia. Okay. Um, and I'll be speaking at that one. Um, so, but we're we're probably about nine to twelve months out from okay. licenses actually being handed out. Uh, there'll be six licenses uh, across the state, um, and then it'll be up to those companies to you know, grow the plants and get it, get the oil mm-hmm. out. To patients, so that's what I'm looking forward to. Cool. So, you have a son with aut- with an autism autism spectrum disorder, right? Correct. Correct. Yes. Would you care so to discuss that? Autistic. Would you care to discuss that a little bit? Sure. Okay. Um, is the can with the cannabis be for him? Yes. Okay. Would you care to win that in that a little bit? How how that would affect him? How would that would help him? Or like? Yeah. Sure. Uh, so I mean there. It's an hour-long discussion to go through everything okay. and how we got here, yeah. um, cannabis-related and, and Colin-related. Um, but in short, Colin is currently 11 years old. He is severely autistic. Um, he would be considered um, um, on the low-functioning okay. aut- autistic. Mm-hmm. Um, meaning there are some, uh, and there again, it's the reason why we call autism a spectrum is because there's a, a wide range. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, education about autism is, is greatly lacking. Mm-hmm. Um, probably, ironically, one of my biggest frustrations in life is the movie Rain Man. Yeah. Um, because what you saw there um, in the movie Rain Man, obviously an autistic mm-hmm. gentleman, very high functioning, um, and and so people, our culture thinks all autistic individuals are, are Rain Man. So mm-hmm. he has some supernatural powers, mm-hmm. you know. And and my son doesn't. Um, uh, my son doesn't talk at all. Um, he can't tie his shoes and he's mm-hmm. not potty trained and mm-hmm. he struggles feeding himself mm-hmm. and uh, but as a autistic dad sometimes you get tired of people asking you you know mm-hmm. what what's what's your son's superpower you know because they in their mind and their and and they don't mean anything bad by it no and that that's my point is that I have had to come kind of come to grips mm-hmm. with, and I don't know if I've technically created this word or not, but society, so many of us of, in society are innocently ignorant mm-hmm. um, of autism mm-hmm. and then also of what is cannabis what is medical mm-hmm. cannabis yeah um, because so much of my time for the last five years has been going out and, and educating people who are innocently ignorant of what medical cannabis oil is mm-hmm. um, whether they be state legislators at the Capitol you know or the countless talks that I've given across the state at different conferences or at your typical Rotary or Kiwanis Club mm-hmm. in South Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, so where 
through the kind of what we've dealt with through college. Um, and uh, really what because of and I, I didn't even mean to get here with cannabis I mean I didn't set out I, I'm I never growing up I've never smoked mm-hmm. weed I never physically I, I saw weed one time okay mm-hmm. in high school um, and so you know that's not wasn't who I was. It, well, I wasn't, you know, I'm not this typical, you know, hippie that. Yeah, you're not a stoner. I'm definitely not a stoner. And I wasn't even like one of these all natural people, mm-hmm. you know, that, um, that had, you know, that knew it was a medicine for decades. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know how far they go back, but anyway, it was just, I've just kind of gotten thrown into it. Yeah, you're um, not just dad. Yeah. Um, well, it, it actually, uh, and we'll probably circle back around how I actually got in, you know, I had a friend okay. who had a daughter uh, that had severe seizures. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, but because of, and, and a lot of people don't know kind of where my political background comes from. Okay. Um, one, I, I as a kid, I was always just aware of politics. Um, I remember my very first election, presidential election, you know, that I was aware of, mm-hmm. conscious of, so to speak. It was, mm-hmm. I guess I was 12, 1992. Okay. Uh, I think that was when George Bush Sr. Mm-hmm. first got elected. Yep. Um, and then uh, I remember my granddad taking me to hear uh, candidate Pat Buchanan <laughs> spoke at uh, Live Oak, the Milliken plant. Okay. Yeah. That it had burned down. I think that was like in 94, 95. And then Pat Buchanan came and spoke. He did a little rally. And it was during, I want to say, the 96. Okay. It could have been. No, I think it, it could have been during the 92. I'm not sure. Anyway, I was really young. I was like 12, 13, 14. Mm-hmm. I was a kid. Anyway. Um, so I've always been aware of politics, and uh, but when when Colin was born, and as I began to kind of feel firsthand or experience firsthand um, what it's like to be a, a special needs dad, um, and really what that means, not only do you as a parent, there are things that you have to deal with on a day to day basis. Um, whether that be services for your child and learning the whole government world, what that looks like mm-hmm. and, and navigating those waters and dealing with uh, the school system and making sure your child has the proper therapies and that you're advocating on their behalf sufficiently. Um, but there's a, there's a whole other half of that equation and that is you know what about after you're gone mm-hmm. you know as so much in life and so much as what we think about in life you know you you want to as a kid you want to grow up and become an adult you want to get married you want to you want to be an adult and and have your own family and, and have your and have your kids and then Mm -hmm. you want to grow old and have grandkids and enjoy your grandkids and then I mean ultimately as parents and as we want to see our kids Mm -hmm. grow up and and be successful adults and and have their own families and and that's our legacy that's that's what we leave behind Mm -hmm. Um, but as a as a special needs dad you have to you have to you know, plan for and think about taking care of your child for the 30, 40 years yeah. after you're gone. And uh, so not only are there a lot of physical things you have to plan for and financial things you have to plan for, but in my mind, you know, what, what, what's, what world am I leaving behind? that he's going to have to live it. 
unprotected by me. You know, so so you, you think about okay, well what what's what's society going to be like mm-hmm. after I'm gone? And and so that kind of led me to well, politically speaking, you had set policies and mm-hmm. you wanna you know um, and it really hit me hard um, shortly after we learned of, of the struggles that, that Colin faced as a, as a child because I was watching a documentary okay. on World War II and the atrocities of, of, of Hitler in Germany and but I learned something that, that I, I was unaware of because you know when you hear about World War II, as a matter of fact, we just just I think last week or this week maybe uh, was the, the National Holocaust Survival mm-hmm. Day, mm-hmm. and uh, and that, that's horrific to think about that and to think about the, the millions of people that were slaughtered. Um, but many people don't know the very first people to suffer at the hands of. Yeah, when he got rid of all the invalids and the people and capable and handicapped people. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and when when I learned that of how, and, and I could I could I get it. Mm-hmm. You know, especially I can't even imagine how difficult it would be to have a special needs child back in the the thirties yeah. and forties, and just the limited amount of services available and. It was tough, and so I, I get it when when I learned that Hitler and the German government, you know, came to these families and said, you know, listen, I know it's tough for you taking care of your child. Let let us take care of because one thing they also had universal health care, uh-huh. so the government was responsible for whatever services they did provide to these individuals. The German government was responsible for, and so that's why they they said, well. Just let us take care of you. You know, it's, it's tough on you. We understand as a parent, it's tough. Let us take care of you. And then, and when, within six months, every single one had tragically died of an accident. You know. Learning of that changed my life. Because I, you know, I thought, you know, what are the chances of our government one day becoming that? Mm-hmm. And, and you know, what if it happens after I'm gone? And I can't protect my son. And so that's when I, you know, became more active and and you know got involved in the in the Republican Party and I was I was the third district chairman of the Republican Party. Gosh, seems like a lifetime ago now. Not anymore. Um, but because of my involvement in the Republican Party, I, I, you know, I had a great chance to meet a lot of the, the state legislators and kind of learn about so many people don't even know about our state government. Mm-hmm. It's because most people just watch Fox News or CNN. And so they, they know that we have a president. They know mm-hmm. we have a senator, maybe if they can understand the difference between two senators and 14 <laughs> congressmen. But then we have congressional districts mm-hmm. here in the state. And, and our whole political process. It, partly it irritates me, but partly it's just fascinating to understand the, the two-party system, and even though I'm not really a big fan of the two-party system, but I'm a free market guy, so I think we should let anybody. Okay. Anyway, that's a whole other discussion, but um, anyway, uh, I'm trying not to get distracted, but um, so through my Involvement in the political process of learning our, you know, state state legislators, um, and uh, you know our U.S. reps and and uh, anyway, um, so now I'm circling all the way back okay. to uh, to cannabis. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
because of understanding and knowing our state legislators, okay. uh, when my friend, um, he was, his daughter was battling some really serious stuff and they were, they were facing uh, brain surgery mm -hmm. because they were, her seizures were getting worse and worse and worse. And, and so the procedure that they had scheduled um, was they were going to go in and, you know, cut out a piece of her skull and, mm -hmm. and, and insert the sensor mm -hmm. so that they could, you know, evaluate and run tests over the next couple of months and mm -hmm. really pinpoint exactly where her seizures were coming from. And then, so then they would come back in mm -hmm. and then remove a portion of her brain. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then he was just going down kind of the steps of best case scenario, she's going to have to learn how to walk and talk again. Mm -hmm. And they hoped that that would be possible, but nothing certain when you go in and start removing mm -hmm. pieces of the brain. Yep. And, uh, and I, and I told him, I said, well, so I said, look, I don't know anything about cannabis and weed, but there's something going on with capital and there's some people up there that won't us to be able to, you know, have medical cannabis here in Georgia. Uh -huh. This was back in 2014. Okay. And uh, I said, you may want to look into it. And he said, I said, you know, I can help put you in contact with, with some people at the Capitol. And needless to say, um, within a week, he you know, started learning about it and had moved his family his wife and, and daughters out to Colorado mm -hmm. and and she was experiencing her first week of being seizure free in a very long time and uh, and then at that point I was still just kind of helping them and their family and just helping kind of mm -hmm. push the legislation along and help kind of point them in the right direction of who to talk to and, but the more that I learned kind of through them and just trying to help them as I learned of the, the possibilities mm -hmm. that this may also help with autism. And, uh, and that's really when up to that point, I was kind of trying to stay hands off, you know, just kind of point him in the right direction. But then once I learned that there could possibly be ways that it could help Colin, uh, that's when I kind of jumped headfirst into it. Gotcha and became much more involved and, and now extremely involved. Okay. Um, and, and now a word from our sponsors. I just want to take a second to let you know I've launched a Patreon page for the Halo Grange podcast. There's four levels of support that you can subscribe at, ranging from $4 as just a pat on the back. Think of it as buying me a coffee once a month for a job well done to becoming an executive producer and getting your name included in the podcast for a larger contribution. There's also a sponsorship option where you can subscribe for $100 a month and I'll add your cause to my ads every week. Those spots are limited though, so you better grab them while they're hot. Go to www.patreon.com backslash Lagrange and sign up to support the podcast today. And as always, thank you. actually developed uh, three different formulas um, of oil okay. specifically for treating autism okay. and, and varying degrees uh, of autism. Um, even though Colin is very, what we would call low functioning mm -hmm. and very severe autistically, mm -hmm. um, thankfully to date, he doesn't um, demonstrate any of the what we call the uh, severe behavioral okay. issues. Um, so no violence. Yeah. Correct. No, uh, what we call self-injurious mm -hmm. behaviors. Okay. Um, and however, um, part of what my what my my passion behind cannabis is that. I've been very uh, vocal and very social media active. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
I feel like to some degree that's helped me kind of communicate and get the word out there about what autism is. Mm -hmm. um, however, you could call it a blessing or a curse, I'm not sure, but I've gotten to know autistic families all across the world. And I've seen firsthand those, those children that, that demonstrate those very severe behavioral issues. And it's, it's really in self-defense for themselves. Mm -hmm. I mean, we don't know what it's like to experience whatever is going on mm -hmm. in their brain. Yeah. That would, that would make the idea of ramming your head into a brick wall a good idea. Mm -hmm. and, and unfortunately, it's very common in boys more so. Okay. And typically, it is brought on uh, with puberty. And so, it's, it's, so my, I guess my point is, is that it's not something that, well, it's either there or it isn't from the beginning. Mm -hmm. it, it happens. Yeah, it happens slowly and it's onset with puberty and we're right. still barrel looking down the barrel of a gun. Right. And, and so I guess a lot of what I have done to date with Colin is really in preparation mm -hmm. for if that day ever comes. Mm -hmm. um, and I have seen cannabis oil be extremely effective um, for those families. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so anyway, um, and with, with no side effect, no negative side effect, you know, and, and that's, so much of, of what kind of has changed my trajectory and I didn't see it then when it was ha happening. I was horrified when I experienced it the first time, but um, when me and my wife were meeting with the neurologist, um, see, Colin, when he was born, he was uh, he was having seizures virtually twenty four seven. Okay. Uh, but there there was no physical um, manifestation of that. It was ju it was just it was an all encompassing what they call generalized mm -hmm. seizures that, mm -hmm. that encompassed the whole brain, and it just really stunted his development. And that's. We didn't even know it. We kept taking him to the doctor, and the doctor kept telling us, his pediatrician kept telling us, well, you know, boys develop later than, than girls. I mean, because it wasn't, he was very, he was just a little bit baby, so it wasn't like we could complain about him not talking yet, Yeah. you know, at six months old. Yeah. Um, but he wasn't, you know, sitting up on schedule. He wasn't rolling over on schedule, you know, but he was still, uh, appeared to be a normal, mm -hmm functioning child. Yeah. And finally, you know, when he was like 10, 11 months old, that's when we, we just basically demanded that something's not right and we want to take him to a neurologist and that's mm -hmm. when we discovered he was having seizures. And, uh, but that, that day in Macon, talking to the neurologist and, and having him explain to us at this point, we knew nothing of autism. Um, we just were only focused on the seizures. Yeah. And and the doctor was explaining to us how best case scenario, they hoped to find a medication that would stop the seizures. <sighs> but if they did, there were definite side effects. And these were severe side effects. Mm -hmm. And we dealt with them for years mm -hmm. of mood swings and not and, and no appetite. Mm -hmm. And we already we didn't know this at the time, but with just autism in general, that's a major it's a complication mm -hmm. with what they'll eat, what they want to eat, what they can't eat, and the, with the sensory, the textures mm -hmm. of the food and so forth and so on. But anyway, so he said but 
you know, if we can find a medication that has hopefully not horrible side effects that will stop or reduce the seizures, we'll only be able to keep him on that, those medications for a few years because those medications will, this was not up for debate, this was medical fact. I'm gonna circle back around on why that really irritates me so bad, but it's medical fact that more than likely that medication is going to start destroying one of his kidneys, his, his organs. And so that we're gonna have to switch his seizure medication at some point to a different medication that will destroy a different organ in his body. And you know, so if the first one destroys his kidneys, then we'll switch it to one that will destroy his liver and allow his kidneys to repair themselves. And then years after that, we can switch it back to one that'll start destroying his kidneys again after his liver repairs. You know, that's, that's the world we live in. That's best case scenario, okay? So fast forward years, and now I'm at the Capitol lobbying for cannabis, and I'm having to argue against someone who the best thing they can come up with is that they think that cannabis might reduce the IQ of someone by 10 points. There was no other negative side effect. And so my response to that is, my child can't tie their own shoe. I'm not worried about 10 IQ points. Mm -hmm. I'm worried about their kidney and their liver. Because still to this day, after thousands of years of history with cannabis, say about it what you want, but there is no physical, medical, negative side effect. It has been proven to be effective in seizures and autism and, and countless other things. And, and I tell this story a, a lot um, because of all the, the families that, that we were helping with, with oil and she had an autistic child. And, um, it was either spring break or the first week you know, after school was out for the summer. Long story short, uh, the son, the, the child, went to stay with his dad um, for a week, you know, on vacation. And, uh, and the dad was out in California. And uh, so anyway, she sent the oil with the child. And in and, and typical husband, or I guess in this case, ex-husband or okay. male, whatever, um, wasn't paying attention. You know, so the mom says, you know, give him 0.3 milliliters, okay. you know, in the morning and mm -hmm. 0.3 milliliters in the afternoon, you know. So what does the dad do? Well, three milliliters. Three milliliters. Okay. Yeah. Ten times. So then he, like, shortly after he gives it, he's like, sir, I don't know what led him to realize that maybe the mom called and just checking up and mm -hmm. anyway so she's freaking out calling me and like what do I do what do I do you know she the dingleberry gave him you know 10 yeah. times the amount that he was supposed to and uh, I was like well calm down and when he wakes up from his nap because he's about to take a nap mm -hmm. He's probably going to be hungry <laughs> and give him something to eat. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. Yeah. He took a nap and he woke up and he was hungry and he had a sandwich. You know, but can you imagine, you know, so that's, that's the world I experience, but yet I'm having to go to the Capitol and argue about people that they would have my child taking all of these extremely powerful drugs that are going to do nothing but numb him uh -huh. and and turn him into a zombie and kill his organs uh -huh. at the same time. And I have to actually argue with these people that to make this all-natural cannabis medicine legal for my child, that worst-case scenario, if we happen to screw up 
and give him 10 times the amount we're supposed to. Yeah. He's just going to take a nap, which in the autism world is a great thing <laughs> because I went literally five years. without seeing my child sleep. Your typical parent doesn't even think about that. They get frustrated when their child wakes up at 7.30 on a Saturday morning. Well, try when your child only sleeps two or three hours every single night. And when they wake up, you can't explain to him that it's three in the morning you need to go back to bed. He doesn't, doesn't understand that. And on a good day, when he's happy, he's extremely loud. He's not saying a word, but he's loud. Uh -huh. and that's a good day. So what do you do? What do you do with a, with a four-year-old at 2.30 in the morning and you've got a wife in the bed, you've got two other children, or this time at least one other, mm -hmm. you know, six-year-old daughter. You know, so that's why I, I spent hours, hours, just driving. I just get him, put him in the truck, and we'd go watch, he'd, he'd watch movies and I'd drive for hours, or go sit in the parking deck. You know, I joke, I tell people that this isn't a joke, this is reality. And I don't even know why it's reality, but I literally listened to the movie Cars probably 300 times before I ever actually got to watch it. I had it memorized, never seen it. Mm -hmm. You know, because it was going on right yeah, behind my yeah, head. I gotcha. You know. Uh, but he, he loved he loved riding, driving, you know, and, and he, he loves Disney movies. I, Disney has some hocus pocus or something on their movies because I, I swear <laughs> it happened just this morning. He like was upset at like five and and but anyway, he just loves Disney movies. But uh, but from the time probably from the time he was maybe twelve to eighteen months. And this was when, as we're learning about his seizures and, and, and then we quickly, you know, he, I, I think his seizures kind of evolved into his autism and his behavioral, or just his, anyway. Um, but he just, man, he, he didn't sleep from probably two um, until we started treating him at the age of seven. Um, you know, so there were on the medication thing, if I can interject, I have a seizure disorder because of the brain tumor mm -hmm. and I take medication, not the wazoo for it. I'm on two different seizure meds every day and it's killing my insides. So yes, I'm, I had a feeling that you probably understood what I was saying. Yes, I had six months of intractable seizures because of the brain tumor we didn't know about. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and I cut a big chunk of my brain out, so I have seizures now. And yeah, it was good two years without driving after, two years without driving after mm -hmm. the seizure, after the, after, the, after the tumor resection, the craniotomy, because of the big chunk of my brain there moved here. I couldn't walk or talk after the, after the tumor removal either. So, yes, I understand completely. Well, not understand completely, but I have a good understanding of what you're talking about with the seizures and the killing of the internal, internal organs. And, and you're able to communicate what you're experiencing. Yes, exactly. And I can't imagine if I wasn't. Yeah. Which obviously makes it more complicated treating someone who, you know, can't communicate. Um, and uh, so yeah, from from the age of two to, to seven, um, I I specifically remember the two times that I physically saw Colin sleep. 
Um, because in order for him to sleep, like under normal circumstances at night, you know, we had to go in and tape his, the little light on his smoke detector and his little baby monitor light. We had to tape over it and, you know, cover up his windows. It had to be pitch dark. And, and even then it was, you know, we would put him to bed every night at, you know, say eight o'clock Well, he would lay in his bed, just rolling and rocking and, you know, banging the wall and, you know, or get out of bed and, and be tapping his head. Like he's never physically like banged his head, uh-huh. like against the wall or gotcha. anything, but he, he, he likes to rock. Okay. Uh-huh. And so I, he likes the rhythm. And, and a lot of times what happens is that rocking, like it'll, he'll just be tapping uh-huh. his head against the wall or the door. You know, so there were just early on, there were hours and hours every night of listen, having to hear him tap, 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 you know, from eight o'clock to 1130 at night. And then eventually he would just pass out from exhaustion mm-hmm. and then hopefully sleep until two or three in the morning, you know, and then wake back up and start, you know, hitting the wall. A lot of times, and that was the way he was communicating was, is he would start to bang the wall, but he was really, it, he wasn't angry. He was just letting us know, mm-hmm. hey, I'm awake. Mm-hmm. You know, come come open the door and get, let me out of, you know, this mm-hmm. room, you know. But still, I, I never, I, I couldn't see him sleep because if I walked in there, he would instantly wake up and then be up mm-hmm. the rest of the night. Um, but there were two times that because of the, everything we dealt with with Colin, when we would go on vacation, uh, you know, every year we, we go to vacation, we go to Pigeon Forge every summer and every winter we go to, uh, it's called Lake Junaluska up in North Carolina. Okay. It's actually a, a Methodist community around this really big lake anyway. My mom and her whole family, they're big Methodists uh, okay. from North Georgia. So anyway, we go up there in the wintertime to kind of like a family reunion mm-hmm. for my mom's family because they're all from North Georgia. And uh, But me and my wife, Sarah, we would take separate vehicles because um, we just never knew what may or may not happen. And mm-hmm. I may have to come home. Probably, I got you. Mm-hmm. Um, if we took Collins, you know, and... Uh, so, and it always happened. <laughs> well, he would always typically wake up, you know, really early, especially in vacation in a weird place, you know. And, and so I would have to, you know, I didn't want to wake up the other 25 family members, you know, in the house, you know. So I would take him ride. And generally speaking, whenever that would happen on the last day of vacation, I'd be like, look, I'm just heading home. You know, it's three o'clock in the morning. I'm just, I'm, I'm heading to Georgia, you know? And, uh, so but for whatever reason, but it happened twice coming through Atlanta. Of course, you know, we, I'm leaving North Carolina or Pigeon Forge, to, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, two thirty in the morning. And so, you know, four thirty, five o'clock in the morning, I remember looking in my mirror and seeing he just passed out from exhaustion. You know, he was sleeping. But I got to see him sleep. I got to see my child at peace. And as a parent, you don't think about that a lot of times. You don't think about things to be grateful for. But be able to see your child sleep. And... uh, Anyway, so that's just that's one of the things that has really touched me when, when we started treating him with cannabis oil. And the first time I came home from work and I saw him as a typical seven, eight, nine-year-old little boy who had a hard day working, playing at school, was tired five o'clock in the afternoon, he was just taking a nap on the couch. I got to see. 
watching. It was amazing how his body started to grow. Um, he's he still is tiny for an 11 year old boy, but before we started treating him with cannabis oil, I mean, it, he was tiny mm-hmm. because his body was he was exhausted. They can't rest. They can't rest. They can't grow if they can't rest. Yeah, um, I mean, he, his body was constantly in motion, mm-hmm. um, and he wasn't. He was only sleeping two or three hours a night. You know and. Anyway, and, and now, you know, it's not perfect. Um, he, he still can't communicate with us at all, verbally. Um, some things, I mean, I, he's beginning to understand things that we say. Um, okay. Uh, but, you know, it's not like I can tell him, hey, Colin, it's time to go to bed, and him just walk yeah. up, you know, go I to bed. Um, but, you know, just the other day, I, I told him, you know, he was across the room and we were getting ready for church and and I told him, I said, come over, it's time to put on your shoes, you know, come over here. And actually I told him to sit. We have a little coffee table mm-hmm. and he's tall enough where he can sit down at the coffee table and let me put on his shoes. Okay. Well, he, he walked over to me and he just sat down on the floor. That's fine. Yeah. You know, you got the point. Yeah. Hey, come over here and sit down mm-hmm. wherever, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's time to put on his shoes. And, uh, so that was, that was encouraging. Um, but you know, it, but now, you know, we still put him in bed every night at eight thirty, and now he goes to bed and he typically, he'll, he'll typically sleep every night. You know, I guess now what I would describe as a, as a rough night is, you know, he may wake up at five thirty. you know, and so instead of him waking up at you got to wake up at seven every morning. To, mm-hmm. You know, I, I take him to school every morning and get him dressed. And um, typically, I'm up anyway at mm-hmm. five five thirty. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, so that's that's really nowadays that's the typical worst case scenario. You know, is his body is able to to calm enough for him to sleep. You know, what I mean, so that sounds like a miracle. It's uh, it's changed our lives you know uh, for the better so anyway well that sounds like a good place to end the interview what's your time looking like (laughs) (laughs) we've still got a lot but it's a good place to end the interview alright Dale it's been a pleasure Um, how can our how can our listeners connect with you oh well I mean uh, I'm 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 here at the office (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, and I'm, I'm on social media and, and I would I would encourage them if I could leave with, with anything I would say to um, one of the biggest ways that everything that has transpired over the last I'm, I'm just turned 40 um, but try to try to understand that you don't understand certain things um, you know you, you mentioned earlier that you deal with uh with a seizure disorder. Mm-hmm. However, you don't know what it's like to have a child with autism. Correct. And understand that. Um, understand that you don't understand. Mm-hmm. And and I'm, I, if I could ask society to do one thing, and that is to try to have more empathy and try to see things from others' point of view. Um, and that's one of the biggest things because of the very blessed life I had as a child and as a young adult, I took so much for granted. And, and I was so quick to really judge other people's behavior and their circumstances. And having a child with autism has taught me that there's a lot in this life. And real quick, what's the phone number for Jackson Services? Just so we can catch the- <laughs> Gosh, I can't even remember. Um, I don't have to, I don't call it that often. 706-884-3351. <laughs> uh, we have a brand new website, jacksonservicesco.com. Jacksonservicesco.com. All right. That's been it. I'll be a wrap. Thank you.
Well, that was the interview. I hope you enjoyed listening. If you like what you heard, show your support with a $4 donation on www.patreon.com forward slash Lagrange. Don't forget to follow on social media and leave us a comment and review on whatever podcast platform you listened on. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider sharing it with someone else you think will enjoy it as well. Email me your thoughts on today's show at earlgbarnett at gmail.com. Subscribe and like wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a comment for bonus points. Follow at Earl Barnett on Twitter, at Earl G. Barnett on Instagram. Follow the podcast at Hey LaGrange on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks again for listening. Enjoy your week, and remember that creativity takes courage.